Curiously Polar with Chris Marquardt and Mario Aguarona. And we're back with Curiously Polar, the show about all things very north and very south. And I am again in the presence of Mario Aguarone, the, um, well, I still do not know how to refer to you, Mario. First of all, mm. hello. Well, well, thank you very much. Hello, Chris. Um, uh, I'm, well, I'm very I'm, happy to be here. Yes. I would, I would it's, it's, is it, you, you, you are a researcher, you are a skipper, you are a... Uh, um, an explorer, you do, um, you guide expeditions and things uh, up in the up in the Arctic. Is th- does that cover it? Uh, well, yeah. Well, thank you. Yes, yeah, I do all of these and maybe even even more. But uh, most of all, I'm I'm curious about uh, about everything. That is about a good thing to be on a about, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so I uh, I try to diversify and to go and explore myself and uh, do several things and I and living in the Arctic up here in in Tromsø I uh, I actually do uh, have uh, a uh, perfect uh, uh, starting point for uh, for exploring what's what is what is it with the uh, uh, with the with the polar areas and and so and that's uh, one thing that has come up a few times over the last. Uh, well over the entirety of this podcast every now and then was around um uh, well we had a climate episode and there are things that that uh, i i learned that while i was up there um that kind of accumulate up in the arctic things that move around the atmosphere and around the sea and uh, the arctic is kind of a would it be fair to say kind of an accumulation basin for some of these things Yes, it is. Um, I well, if you're talking about pollution, yeah, and about pollutants, man-made pollutants, um, we find that, that um, the Arctic and the Antarctic as well, but uh, but most of all, the Arctic is uh, a place that uh, accumulates uh, man-made pollutants. What kind of pollutants are we looking at? We are looking at the ones that can be transported by atmospheric transport. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we are talking about uh, things like, uh, you know, like PCBs, DDTs, all of these uh, acronyms like polychlorobiphenyls and uh, and uh, insecticides and uh, and uh, brominated uh, flame retardants. And and you're um, saying they tend to accumulate in the Arctic. Why is that? Yeah, because um, it's um, the uh, these substances are produced and are uh, used mostly in the places that are highly populated. So, if you talk about Europe, so we're talking about a subarctic area or temperate area. We're talking about North America, mostly temperate, and we're talking about uh, everything in Asia. Uh, so, going over to all the way to China and Japan. We're talking about uh, areas that are quite uh, uh, relatively warm compared to the to the polar area, and uh, and these uh, substances are evaporating because there is a lot of energy. The temperature is higher in these uh, um, subtropical or or temperate areas, and uh, they come up in the atmosphere, 
and the atmospheric currents um, bring the air masses further north. Um, and this is why we have a large accumulation of uh, pollutants further north, uh, because when the air masses come to the colder areas, then all of these compounds condense and have a fallout. So it's the, the same kind of condensation that, that we know from our when when wet air comes to a cold window, it, it you get condensation. Yeah. That's the same Something, thing. It falls yeah. out of that of that. Uh, solution in the air pretty much yeah something something like this and um, if you remember um, with the Chernobyl uh, disaster right the uh, the plume of uh, fallout had gone northwards uh, all the way to uh, Europe and Scandinavia um, and 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 this is uh, and and this is something that um, that is uh, pretty much these are the pictures that are pretty much available everywhere of how the atmospheric transport actually goes uh, goes from lower latitudes to higher latitudes and uh, and then we get uh, we get all these pollutants coming up to uh, to areas where uh, they are neither used nor produced and uh, and they tend to come up and uh, fall uh, uh, come up to the latitudes and then fall down on the environment and they tend to be absorbed by organisms and this is uh, this is why it's important to uh, to look at the at pollution in uh, in high latitude areas because they are giving the uh, a pretty pretty good indication of uh, of of the uh, of the dump <laughs> level <laughs> of, of these because these these pollutants they do not go away from the polar areas because they stay in the in the food chains and in the environment out there is there is there uh, just a stupid question is there a, a can, are there any timings when i when i release something here in europe um into the air and that moves up i i suppose there are like these these aerial streams the the that that kind mm. of move the way they do and they they get it up there are we talking days are we talking months are we talking years how long does it take for for that we're spray talking, can to talking, arrive up there yeah. we're talking between uh, between man, months and and years okay. um, there are some substances i mean there are there are always new substances that are produced um, chemists are um they're inventive they're inventive <laughs> and um and the chemical industry is uh, is very um, powerful, and it's also essential for the functioning of our society. And uh, it's very uh, so. There are new substances uh, being produced and used and uh, been discovered. Um, most of them are synthetic, of course. So so we know when they were first produced, and we know also when they were first banned for use in. In, uh, in in our areas, uh, usually these dangerous uh, materials are first banned in the high, uh, well, in the wealthy areas of the world. Um, so so we know when things have been banned in Europe, and we find them uh, still years later uh, accumulating and increasing in value in the in the Arctic. So it's not enough uh, to just ban the production and the use. But um, 
we have all of the life cycle of all these um, these products that need to be taken into account if we have for example a flame retardant something that is sprayed on the circuit boards of the computers and usually these are brominated um, compounds these are uh, not necessarily disappearing because the computers are phased out and uh, these brominated flame retardants are not used anymore because the computers will stay in uh, the dumps they're not uh, they're not being destroyed and the products are going to be these uh, dangerous or or no uh, poisonous chemicals um, they are not uh, um, eliminated and destroyed and and sometimes they're even exported over to third world countries where the uh, recycling of the material is uh, cheaper because the hand manpower is cheaper and and so, while we're looking at things like landfills where which i would think when you pour dirt on top of stuff it will be kind of contained then when there are recycling things going on uh, does that also mean that some of that stuff is then released into the air and makes its way up to the north Yes, it is exactly um, the uh, the problem of of disposing of of waste is is very <coughs> complex and very uh, and very interesting as well. But um, we have, uh, as you mentioned, one way of disposing of waste is burying it or mm -hmm. dumping it somewhere. Um, uh, burying uh, waste will reduce the exposure to the atmosphere so uh, it will have less uh, possibility of uh, um, polluting the atmosphere through uh, evaporation for example it will also be uh, less exposed to uh, wash out by precipitation mm -hmm. and this is also something that uh, that is um, uh, that is positive about landfills uh, if you can manage to uh, make a landfill um, watertight uh, from the bottom right. and airtight from the top then you have uh, postponed the problem of dealing with this sort of uh, waste well and, and some, some people are. are now starting to do archaeology in the landfills mm. because you can uh, because sometimes I think in some areas it becomes feasible to dig out stuff from the 70s and, and recycle it sure. into stuff. Sure, especially, now, especially in anaerobic uh, situations, you can find even food uh, food remains that are pretty intact <laughs> from, wow. from from so, years before. But uh, but we have the transport there, and then the other the other way of uh, of doing just to finish off or like to put another brick in the puzzle is that we burn stuff in order to reduce the volume of the landfills and in order to uh, also produce heat, for example. But when we burn stuff, it's not exactly the same if we burn wood or if we burn some plastic. Uh, because uh, in order to uh, avoid having uh, extra chemicals up in the air from burning plastic we need to use special uh, temperatures special ovens and also maybe some filters for abating all the fumes that could be noxious so it is very important to know for example what is in your garbage that you're burning and this is one of the reasons why you would have uh, a uh, separate uh, recycling bins for different kinds of waste it is because you can uh, then regulate not only what you're burning, but also the temperature at which you're burning. 
um, you're burning your waste. And once once we burn something and we throw and we we actually accelerate the process of this process of atmospheric transport in case there is some uh, noxious chemical in the fumes that are coming out of the of the flames. Um, so if if these fumes come up, they are evaporating at a much or they are sent in the atmosphere at a much uh, uh, faster um, rate than if we. Uh, actually uh, bury them so that is the air transport of um, pollutants and mm -hmm. I, I suppose that a, a quite a bit of research that goes up in the Arctic uh, that goes on in the Arctic deals with that um, but then there's also the water um, the stuff that we pour into the water is that does that also do the same thing does that accumulate up it does. In, in the Arctic it, it, it does I mean uh, if we're talking about the uh, about the North Atlantic, uh, we practically all know that there is a, a North Atlantic current. Uh, it could be called the Gulf Stream. Uh, it has also several different branches, but uh, it moves surface water uh, from the tropics over to the north. Uh, and then as the water reaches the north, we have talked about this conveyor belt when you're talking about the climate, mm -hmm. the, the water cools off and then falls down to the bottom of the ocean and, and is sucked back towards the equator. So we have, a, we have a transport, a surface transport of water from the lower latitudes over to the, to the, uh, to the northern latitudes, uh, to the higher latitudes. And, uh, and of course, all the rivers that are throwing their waters into the sea uh, contribute to the water masses that are moving northwards. Even though, of course, the um, there is a stratification due to the uh, different density between fresh water and salt water, and therefore the masses uh, do not instantly mix. So when we when we we have these two systems and uh, the atmospheric and the uh, water circulation, then we have a, a transport of material over to the north and. Um, and once we have the these compounds coming over to the north, these are absorbed by the primary producers, so the uh, phytoplankton and the seaweeds, and and then they are consumed by all the organisms. And here we uh, we can uh, we can already see a difference in uh, between the water soluble and the fat soluble compounds. And this is because in the north, a lot of the organisms, a lot of the animals, but also the plants, need fat as an energy reserve because they need to combat uh, uh, cold. So you need more energy mm -hmm. in order to keep warm or to make the processes work. And you need also uh, fats uh, in order to maintain the flexibility of the of the cell membranes and uh, and if you have polluting compounds pollutants that are fat solubles they are very much uh, transported through the food chain so are there any effects of that that, that can be spotted in the animals yes uh, but it depends on the uh, on the um, on the uh, concentration because because so, I'm, I'm I'm aware that there are some compounds yeah. that might work uh, like a hormone replacement and things like that. Yeah, well, 
if we uh, yes exactly if you um if you think about a, uh, a an organism uh, an organism growing um uh, eats uh, more and more and if there are things that are not washed out uh, of the body if they stay these things that compounds that you eat stay and if we're talking about therefore uh, the uh, uh, about fat soluble uh, stuff um, fat soluble uh, compounds then these accumulate in the body of the uh, of the organism or the predator and uh, and when they accumulate they can reach a level at which they become uh, active or they they pass the sensitivity uh, threshold of the organism so you can have hormone uh, similar uh, compounds like uh, compounds that uh, mimic the action or the uh, the structure of hormones and and these uh, can act and block the hormonal receptors and therefore influencing the physiology of the organ of the organisms polar bears for example have been found to uh, have a, a, a quite a, a high uh, concentration of uh, hormone uh, similar uh, material that that's because they are at the end of the food chain right so, so they are the ones that exactly. consume the other organisms that have already uh, consumed the pollutants exactly and this is uh, um, and this is called the bioaccumulation and when we have an, a, a bioaccumulation so the accumulation of a substance uh, in in the organism through the life of the organism um, it makes the uh, increase in the risk of uh, something happening something uh, some disruption some hormonal disruption um, higher for the older organism so so we have a we have a a a, a pretty uh, a pretty severe uh, problem for uh, the organisms in the in the high arctic especially the the top predators because they uh, uh, need fats they go after fats a um a uh, polar bear would uh, when they kill uh, for example a seal they would first eat the fat um uh, and if they uh, really are hungry, then they would also eat, eat the rest of the seal. But uh, but the fat is what they go after. So everything that has been accumulated, bioaccumulated in the seal, then is passed into the polar bear, um, and is not leaving it. Is not leaving the polar bear uh, mostly because the uh, uh, substances are fat solubles. Uh, hydrosoluble substances are uh, slightly easier to wash out of an organism so the bioaccumulation is not a, a um, is not can can become a lesser problem can be a lesser problem than with fat soluble uh, pollutants um there is also, uh, like uh, now I mentioned it, but uh, the other concept, now we talked about uh, bioaccumulation, but the other concept that goes together with biomagnification, with bioaccumulation, is biomagnification. And biomagnification is the increase in concentration 
of a, a substance from one level in a, in a in a food chain to another level to the next level. Uh, so if there is a, a concentration of uh, uh, one among the plants among the phytoplankton, then the concentration might increase to uh, let's say ten uh, when we get to the herbivores in the sea. Uh, for example, the copepods, and so on along the food chain. So for organisms that are feeding lower in the food chain, uh, we would have a, a lesser risk of uh, assuming all of these or taking in all these uh, pollutants um, because uh, they are at a level where the myomagnification is minimal. Um, if you are a top predator then you are actually already feeding on something on some prey that has uh, uh, a lot of pollutants in it because of biomagnification for example if you're thinking about whales um, you're if you uh, think about whales that are feeding on krill um, then they are uh, taking in less pollutant per unit mass uh, of food than whales that feed on uh, fish that has uh, a higher trophic level. So uh, a, a killer whale would be a predator that uh, uh, feed on uh, seals, for example. The seals are fed on fish and the fish are fed on krill if we just simplify this uh, this uh, food chain uh, while a fin whale would go directly for the krill or at the most for the small fish so we would go on the bottom of the food chain or almost to the bottom of the food chain so there is a higher risk for a killer whale to accumulate uh, um, to accumulate pollutants than there is for a fin whale Hmm. So, yes. in, uh, we we could uh, we could go down uh, about one hundred different rat holes here and try to um, <laughs> to dig deeper. But I yes. think I think this episode is a good overview of what what is happening, how the Arctic uh, and the Antarctic accumulate pollution coming from the more uh, well from 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 the places that we usually live in. Exactly. And, and, I, and I think that we actually we could round it off with uh, with the latest or um, the uh, the most uh, visible uh, form of pollution that we have now in the media, which mm -hmm. is microplastics. Oh yes, from and you have surely heard of it, haven't from you? From cosmetics, from fleece jackets, from everything. Yeah, there is really actually everything has microplastics in them either because we have uh, or can produce microplastics either because we put the microplastics in there like you're saying cosmetics like microspheres of uh, plastic so that you can have uh, some smooth effects on your smoothing effects on your skin uh, they can be also used industrially for as a abrasives or as a um yeah in industrial processes but then as you're saying like with the fleece uh, we have our nice uh, synthetic fibers and when we wash them 
the pieces of the fibers break off microfiber cloth for example mm -hmm. they lose a lot of of their small microfibers because the microfibers actually break and uh, and go down the drain and uh, but also like plastics like uh, plastic bags fishing nets anything plastic after a while breaks down in small bits and uh, and and ends up in the in the water and but the the point is that it doesn't just stay in the water the point is that it actually is taken into the organisms that we feed upon as humans and then is sent back to us so we are actually even though we don't see it uh we are actually taking in quite a lot of plastic through eating food that has been in a food chain that includes microplastics at some point. Hmm. That's not a very good, nice outlook. So no, I think, I think if anything at all, this episode should help at least create some awareness. I think it's also a good, a good companion episode is episode five, where we talk about climate, climate change, which has some of the, Uh, mechanisms in it about how the currents move around the globe um, well let's try to avoid some of that and let's try to well at least I will try to be a bit more conscious about this yes, all right that's it. this is the uh, this is a message and well, I can deep. only strongly advocate <laughs> for Wait. for being aware of how the way the way we, we live and the way we consume and the way we we influence the world all right That was it. Let's let's next week let's talk about something that's a bit more fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next week we will talk about snowmobiles and uh well quite a bit about that. Until then, um if you want to find out more, go to curiouslypolar.com. That is where you will find all the previous 26 episodes about anything from climate in the Arctic to salmon farming to ship classes and the overall and all other interesting stuff um, we'll be back in a week until then take care and stay cool stay cool <laughs> <laughs>